nothing knows. Nothing knows. Nothing knows. Welcome back to the Nothing Owed podcast. Listen along as accomplished guests discuss success and failures during their journeys as entrepreneurs, business owners, and investors. Bettering your position starts by learning from those who went before you. That learning experience can happen anywhere, in the car, at the beach, or on a treadmill. There are no excuses for where you end up in life. If you want something bigger, the time to take action is now. There is no better time in history to achieve success. The hosts, Brian and Stu, are both Marine Corps veterans who believe life is what you make it. Your place in life is determined by your decisions. If you want more information on the podcast, please check out the website at nothingowed.com. No BS stands for Nothing Owed with Brian and Stu. That's what you're going to get with the show. Are you ready? All right. Welcome back, everybody. Stu and Brian here with the Nothing Owed podcast, and today we have an old friend of mine named John Duver. You can check him out with a Google search. His website is wewrapanything.com. Name of the company is Vinyl Images. He also runs some of his own business to boot camp coaching lessons. He's a mentor to many, and his story is great. Started out young, made a lot of mistakes, but really took a company from nothing to uh, something of great success and also experienced a lot of trials and tribulations through COVID that we'll get into but I'm excited to have him for this hour. We got a lot to talk about. So you and Stu are friends. Yeah, we've known uh, we've known friends each other is a loose term for a pretty long time. Uh-oh. <laughs> it depends on the company we keep if, if we're talking about it. Uh, I see. <laughs> no, but I've known Stu since uh, I guess I was in I was in first grade. Okay. So was it 35 yeah. years ago, ish? 32 yeah. years ago. <laughs> long time. All right, John, we got a lot to talk about. Why don't you just start off by telling us about WeWrapAnything.com, Vinyl Images, and your baseline business? So what we what we specialize in, our core competency of Vinyl Images is vehicle wraps and graphics. Um, to kind of whittle that down even further, it would be fleet graphics, commercial wraps and graphics, because there's various types of wraps. Two of the main ones are going to be color change wraps, where you take a you take a vehicle and it's black and you change it to blue or you change it to red or green or whatever. And then commercial wraps are obviously like a plumbing van or a, okay. a tree company van or something like that. John, um, so people listening to you, you sound you know, somewhat professional and like you got your stuff together. But the guy I knew back in high school, running hard, always having a lot of fun, uh, but a hard worker. Some of the things we've talked about is just... You know, there's people out there that read a lot and study and study, but don't really take action. And what I've really been drawn to you about and, and watching you develop over the years is is how much action you've taken. So can you just kind of peel us back from the beginning, you know, coming out of high school, um, not really knowing what you want to do, what led you to wanting to be an entrepreneur and how you kind of fell into the the place that you're at now? I mean, I think it's, it's multifaceted, you know, um, I've always had a problem with authority. Um, I've always not been wanted to be told what to do. I didn't really ever want a boss. I, I, you know, I had, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, you know, my grandparents had a, everything that my family has done 
um, on my dad's side of the family has always been in horticulture, whether it be landscaping or a greenhouse or tree companies or whatever, you know, tree trimming and removal businesses, whatever it may be. So entrepreneurial spirits in my blood. Um, but I've never, I'm, I've always had a problem with authority. I never wanted a boss. I knew that I was going to own a business when I was young. I didn't know what that business was going to be. Um, but I just knew that I wanted to be my own boss. Um, you know, coming out of high school, I graduated high school late. You know, I was kind of a, a shithead kid and, and, uh, it was, it was something that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a very smart person. I just didn't, school wasn't for me. It just, it just wasn't, you know, I was too busy chasing girls and, and party and have a good time, um, to really apply myself. And it's one of those things where when I got out of high school, finally got my, my diploma, I wanted to be a chiropractor is what, what I really wanted to do. And, and I started working, my sister, destiny worked at a rap company. Um, and I was taking about six months off. Cause again, I hated school before I applied for chiropractic college. And, uh, and she worked at a rap company. I went to work there. I was just a, I was the, the shop monkey, man. Like I was, I was taking trash out and cleaning vehicles and doing this, that, and the other just odd jobs. And, um, and I just fell in love with what it was. I loved working with my hands. Um, I loved, uh, you know, everybody's got a little taste of ADD. My taste is more of like a gallon <laughs> and the instant gratification you get from installing a vehicle wrap is instant. You know, at the beginning of the day, you have a white van at the end of the day, it's, you know, Bob's plumbing, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's instant. You see what you can accomplish in a day. So it really appealed to me. Uh, that company actually that my sister worked for that I worked for went out of business. And when they did, we decided to start our own thing. And that was, uh, it was 18 years ago. I was 19 years old when we started the business. Yeah, can you uh, talk about that? So your sister, um, it, it almost sounds like she knew something about it, but I don't think that was the case, right? So there was a company that was going under. Uh, what made your sister say, hey, I'm going to buy this print shop and just start something completely different? The owner of the business. So the company, call it Company A, is who we worked for. The Company A was purchased by a Harvard business graduate and given to his kids. <laughs> It was a great business. It was about a million dollars a year. And this was back in 2002, 2001. Uh, it had been established for about 25 years or so. I mean, it was a very well-established, uh, financially stable business. And this gentleman bought it for his kids and his kids bankrupted the company within 12 months. So this person that bought company A approached Destiny because Destiny basically was the, the director of operations, you know, she kind of was, was, was in charge of all this stuff underneath the, the actual owners. And he said, Hey, you should buy this business. And, uh, and you know, we come from nothing. I mean, we cut, we don't have pot to piss in. And she said, listen, we don't have, I don't have the money. I don't have the credit. I have nothing. He's like, well, I'll co-sign a business loan for you. And she approached us and, or she approached me and I was 19. I was like, well, hell yeah, I'm going to be a millionaire overnight, you know? <laughs> and uh, we approached my brother Joe, and and he said absolutely. He was working for my father, who owns a landscaping company, and um, he was in. So we got a business loan. We walked in the front door, and we walked out the back door with everything, everything, trash awesome. cans, everything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So talk about uh, the the growth of it. So how did you? You know, taking it from where it had almost been driven into the ground over the last twenty years. Um, going from probably small 
small car wraps to buildings in downtown St. Louis. Talk about that. Sure. So, I mean, when we started, we, you know, vehicle wrapping had been around, you're talking about early 2000s. So vehicle wrapping had been around for years and years, 20, 30 years by that time, but it was very, very, very scarce to say the least. Um, and we would do one wrap every three months if we were lucky. Uh, it was just wasn't happening. We did a lot of banners and a lot of signs back then. We had a contract with Pepsi, Pepsi Cola, and we would do banners for them every week. They would have promotions and we would do their Pepsi banners. Pepsi banners kept us in business for three years. Um, they and, and that's kind of what we did. But we noticed this market was starting to grow. We noticed the vehicle wrap market was growing and we noticed our clientele were we're, we're coming to us more and more and more looking for it. And we were one of the only or the first, one of the first shops in St. Louis that offered vehicle wraps because we had the printer that we bought with the business was called an Arizona 180. At the time, it was, I mean, state of the art. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, you know, $140,000, $130,000 printer. And it was, it just didn't exist anywhere else. So we had, we had that little ace in the hole. And it was big, it was 54 inches wide, so we could print whatever we wanted, how we wanted, et cetera. We saw the niche in the market. Pep, you know, it was kind of a forced thing, Stu. Pepsi company started doing their banners internally. And when you have all your eggs in one basket and you're so used to this check coming in every single week, every single week <laughs> we do 30, 40, 50 banners for Pepsi. And then all of a sudden that gets, you literally just get your legs cut out from underneath you. You don't have a choice. I mean, you, you adapt or you die. And that's what we did. You know, I thought I was going to be a millionaire overnight. And then after, you know, two and three years where I'm making a couple hundred bucks a week and nothing's growing and, and bills aren't being paid and we're getting behind on stuff, it made it very apparent that that was not going to happen. So we knew that we had to just buckle down and get to work. And that's what we did. The, the rap market was growing and we, we slid right in there. Can I ask you something on the, when you first started and you said you were, you were struggling, what would you, uh, what would you say was the cause of that? Was it a, a lack of business or was it just a, I mean, what, what were some of your struggles that you had when you, when you first started? What do you think was, was the biggest hurdle that you guys were, were facing at the time? You know, what was, what was, um, go ahead. A long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's, 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 it's tough to, uh, to remember details. And it was such a brutal time for, for our business and my relationship with my brother and my sister and, you know, it was just tough, you know, um, but financially it was very difficult. Okay. We were robbing Peter to pay Paul okay. to keep the, you know, to keep our, to keep our rent paid. You know what I mean? We would, we would, we would take just enough money to make sure that, that, you know, our, our, our car payments were paid. But at the same time, like at the, at the, when we first started the business, we were living outside of our means as business owners. You know, we had this front of, you know, oh, we're making it, we're making it, right. you know, driving new vehicles, you know, but, you know, my first new vehicle got re repossessed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was living so far out of my means, it wasn't even funny. But we didn't really see the problem with that. We didn't have any formal, you know, financial education. You know, we didn't we didn't know any better. We didn't know how bad we were doing um, until we started to get business coaching, until we, until we started to sit down with people and, and they said they would, all of them, no matter who they were, they would say, how are you still in business? Like, how is it possible that you guys are still talking? How are you still in business? And that's when we kind of took a real hard look at it. And we're like, okay, well, we we really do need to, I guess, figure this out. Because we don't have it figured out nearly as close to what we think we do. 
That's it. And and what were some of the changes that you made? What was what were the coaches you know telling you? What was you know what were some things that, that you guys concretely did to to get in the right direction? Process number one is processes establishing and then sticking to processes from and I mean everything from how you take the trash out and when you take the trash out okay. to how you answer the phone a word a word uh, a word press for how you answer everyone answers the phone the same way how a work order is created how a, a job moves through the system from design print lamination production installation how something's built you know when and where you send your thank you notes. Um, and then the next biggest thing besides processes, because processes honestly are 90% of the problem, processes and communication was our biggest issue. Once we got those figured out, we realized that we were, we were in each other's sandboxes. So we defined our job descriptions and defined our job, what we needed to do. If I was going to be in charge of banners, then destiny stay out of the banner situation. I'll take them. You get a banner sale, you bring it to me because I'm an expert on that. And if she was like destiny runs our fleet division, it's our fastest growing nationwide division and she dominates the market. You know, we're it's, but my point in that is if I get a big fleet, I'll just send it over to Des and she'll take it from there. That's interesting. Okay. And I, I think, I mean, that, that's, that's great to hear. And I think a lot of what you said is, is applicable even in, in people's personal lives too, you know, whatever you're, whatever you're struggling with at whatever time, I think, documenting it, documenting what you're doing, documenting all your processes, even if you don't own a business, I think is, is huge. So it, whatever you're trying to do in life, you got to know what your goals are and what you're trying to get and document it. And like you said, you know, processes, documentation, you have to understand where you're at and understand, you know, where you want to go. So I, that's good to hear. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad for you guys that you, you pulled it through. Um, <laughs> it's a great story. I, I love hearing that. Yeah, it is good. I mean, if one thing about the process, just to touch on that, you got to write it down. Yeah. You have to write it down. If you don't write it down, it's just an idea. You cannot, you can't make a plan and you can't record anything if it's, and you can't like tweak anything if it's not recorded, it's not written down. You have to write it down step by step by step. You have to agree on it as a team, as a leadership team, as an ownership team. Everyone has to agree that yes, this is the direction we're going. We're going to take these steps, these action steps with this process in order to get to this goal. And once everybody's on the same page and rowing that boat in the same direction and everybody's taking the same action steps every single day and day in and day out becomes habitual. And then it all comes together. John, we've been talking about your humble beginnings as an entrepreneur, but can you talk about the pivot you had to make as you grew and as you started to get employees in your structure, how that affected your leadership and your maturity and all the the development you had to go through as you had other things you had to worry about as you got larger? Absolutely. Um, so we started off, it was myself, my brother, my sister, Destiny and Joe, and then one graphic designer, his name was Chris Luth. Um, he's like my brother. I still talk to him on a regular basis. I'm, I'm very good friends with him, very close with him. And my mom was our secretary and my mom was working for free because we couldn't afford to pay her. And then that ended up going sour because she didn't want to clean up after her kids and take the trash out and stuff. So it was like, <laughs> it was like, okay, mom, sorry, but we got to run a business. And it was, it was good. Like we, <laughs> you know, we, we parted amicably, but it was, um, that was fun. <laughs> um, so we started with four, four <laughs> to five people. <laughs> and then, you know, at our, at our biggest, at our biggest payroll, we had 24 people on staff. That was three years ago. Right now I have 18 people on staff and I make about a million dollars a year more than I did with 24 people on staff. 
it slowly grew from, you know, four to five to, and then we'd hire two people because we got a big job and we would hire them temporarily. And then we realized that they were, they were, they were winners. So we would hold them on and we would keep, we would keep a position open for them. And then we would hire a salesperson. And when, you know, in my business and most businesses that are production based businesses, you bring a salesperson in to pay for a person to pay for everybody down the line. You bring a new salesperson in, well, you have to have a print tech that can keep up with that person's sales. And then you have to have a production person that can keep up with the print tech that pre keeps up with the salesperson. And then you have to have an installer that can keep up with the, the production that can keep up with the print that can, that can, that can install all the wraps that the salesperson's selling. So every time we'd hire a ringer salesperson, we would have to hire a new print tech or a better print tech or buy a new printer. And then it always came down to the installer. And uh, that's, that's, that's kind of how it grew. And now we have, uh, we have 18 people on staff and it's, it's good. It's good, you know, but, you know, coming to a leadership role, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you just find what you're good at. Um, <clears throat> my wife has taught me many, many, many things in my life, but one of the, the, one of the, I guess, three things that she has taught me that's been immensely helpful in my, in my business career. Number one, just the, just communication period, you know, being able to communicate and being able to look someone in the eye and tell them, Hey, I like this. I don't like this being shooting people straight. That helps a lot with uh, being a leader. Um, then the, the second thing would be, you know, person, I, I still continually call it love languages. Um, and when I, when I'm working with my, I have a coaching program and when I work with my clients, I always call it love languages and they always look at me like I'm stupid, but it is, you know, my wife taught me what love languages were. And that is basically how someone wants to be talked to, how someone wants to be loved, to be all of it. Right. But it's the same thing with business. You have a bunch of people on your team and they all take praise differently. They all take reprimand differently. They all want to be talked to a certain way. They want to be you know, they, every, everybody wants it a different way. And once I realized that through my wife explaining to me what love languages were, I, I put that into my business and man, that helped so much. And, um, what? I, I was, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is really insightful for me because, you know, I'm still in the Marine Corps and I think oftentimes Marines take it for granted. You know, we have this structure in the boot camp where you basically just, uh, shit on them to, to change behavior uh, and break them down before you build them back up. But I'm a senior military officer now, and still I have bosses that just talk to me like I'm an idiot. They talk down to me, they're derisive, and it's just part of our culture. And in the military, they can kind of hide behind the rank structure, and they don't have to worry about it. And as long as the unit continues to get performance, they're not held as accountable as they probably should be, where... That type of leadership style just wouldn't survive out in the real world where entrepreneurs, I just don't think, can fall behind that rank structure and have that same type of leadership style. And I think that's something that you figured out and have kind of evolved to. I used to lead like that. And it's like embarrassing for me to actually look back and, and yep. see that. And I have a designer that works for me right now. Been with me 13 years, five years. Him and I hated each other for five straight years. We hated each other because I was a cocky young, brash, just no leadership skill whatsoever, owner of a business. I wasn't a leader. I was an owner of a business. And I, 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 he finally had it with me saying, it's going to be done this way. And he said, John, 
and he like he yelled at me. It was the first time this this gentleman's very soft spoken. First time he ever stood up for himself. And you know, he's got he's my senior by 10, 15 years. And he's and he basically jumped in my face. And I it was the first time I actually realized, man, you are you're an idiot, John. Like you really are. Like it, that was that was a turning point of my leadership career. And and Sean and I since then have become very good friends. And we joke about this openly to to our team on a regular but not on a regular basis, but we joke about it to our team because it was a, it was an eye-opening experience to see a guy get whipped for five years and finally stand up and say, listen, man, this is not how it is. I'm, I'm telling you, I cannot do it this way. You don't know what you're talking about. And I, and it made me actually stop and think like, yeah, you're, you're, you're an idiot, man. <laughs> you need to fix yourself. And I, and I took a good hard look in the mirror and, and made some changes. That's awesome. Hey, Hey, also, um, you're talking about the, the 18 employees, all these great leadership stories. You said something in there in the beginning about uh, adapt or die, uh, specifically currently with the COVID situation. I know we had some conversations on the phone where mm-hmm. both of our businesses were evolving. And, you know, here I, I don't have a ton of employees in mind. Mine are more in the uh, the early startup stage. Your Yours is obviously much more developed. You got the 18 employees now. And, and you were concerned about, you know, these people having a job. And, and if the structure or the model of your business even still made sense. You talk about how, you know, not only is there pressure on you as the owner of a business, but how you kind of live by that adapt or die and, and the responsibility you have to those employees in, in changing times like COVID. As you're, as you're sitting here talking, like I got chills through my body and goosebumps because that's real. You know what I mean? COVID is something we've never seen before. And as a business has been, you know, we're, we're established. I've been around for 18 years. I mean, we've, we've done really, really well. I mean, we have, we have grossed well into the eight figures. We print and produce 3,500 wraps and graphics packages a year nationwide. I mean, we have a very well-established, very large business. It's not, I mean, on, on massive business scale, it's not the biggest business, but we're doing millions and millions a year and it's good. Like we're financially healthy. We have a great culture, et cetera. But when COVID hit, dude, it <laughs> like it was like a atomic bomb was dropped number one on my industry because when the economy goes down, advertising is the first to get cut in any business normally. If the economy is really good, people spend more money on advertising. And for the last five years, the economy's been relatively good, if not great. So we've been killing it. I had this, this sense, you know, when you're in business long enough, you get these spidey senses and you just, yeah, it's something, something's up, something's up. I have it right now because my business is exploding again. But like March, I just, it felt like 08, 09. It felt like the economy, it felt like something was going on because COVID was just starting to rear its head. And, uh, and that's what happened. I mean, the economy dumped. So we're looking at, okay. I have all these people. When it hit, I sat down with my team and I was I was literally, I knew I had a meeting with my team to go over the future, our future, because it was very uncertain. And I knew I had to look everyone in the eye and, and tell them the truth because I, I'll never lie to my people, even in dire times. I will never lie to them. I'll tell, shoot them straight. And I was sitting there in the shower and I was trying to get something that was going to resonate with my team that I knew I could lead them through this in. And I can't, and, and the, the saying all for one, one for all, 
just kept hitting me in the face. And I was like, okay, I'm going to use that. And that's what I told my team. I said, listen, we're all for one, one for all. I'm not firing anybody. I said, I'm not laying anyone off. I'm not cutting hours. I'm not doing any of it. I said, if I have to, if I have to cut hours, I said, I'm not cutting one person. Everybody's going to get cut something. We are all for one, one for all, because we have a great culture. We've, we didn't, and we built that up. And I knew I had to play off of how much everybody loves each other and how much everybody really truly enjoys being around each other. We have a great team. So all for one, one for all. So with that, I said, I need you more than ever. Okay. We need business. We need new products. Cause I saw these face masks. I saw uh, sneeze guards that you see in all the gas stations now. All, I mean, everywhere now, if you don't have an acrylic guard up that separates you from the clerk, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, people don't come into your organization. They don't come into your establishment. Um, I saw a lot of different things, you know, and in one week in a six, I think it was a six or seven day period. We bid, we didn't get all this work, but we bid $1.2 million in sneeze guards, which was crazy. It was a gold rush. It was absolutely insane. And that's not something that I do all the time. You know, that's where that pivot comes in the adapt or die. I knew I had bills to pay. I knew that there was going to be companies out there that are going to kill it during COVID. I knew it. And I knew that I could do it. I knew that I could be one that did, but I knew that I had to pivot because the vehicle wrap market was not going to be the what, what did it. It just wasn't. It was going to be steady at best. And I knew I had to pivot. And that's what we did. We just started looking at, you know, the 3D printing popped up. I immediately called you, Stu. I was like, hey, I don't know where this is going. I don't know anything about this, but I have this. I'm going to send it to you. Let's see what we can work together. And, you know, the the acrylic market. So the acrylic is the clear plastic sneeze guards yeah you couldn't get acrylic so we what we did yeah, is I found i'm gonna, a ton of acrylic. I, I'm gonna jump in at the same thing uh 3d printers so in my model we scale up when we have large orders so i got like 20 3d printers and they're always available on amazon as soon as COVID hit every 3d printer was sold out on every anywhere so the same problem i had the same problem yeah it's crazy so it was it was just it was a gold rush for the right times and then floor graphics hit you know, the, the social distancing graphics. And then you, there was just a bunch of different things that we, that we did and then we were providing that we didn't, it wasn't our core competency, but we knew that we had to adapt. We knew that we had to, we had to pivot and that's what we did. We just started pivoting. That's awesome. I, I'd love to hear that. Do you mind talking about, you know, when you made the transition from your wraps to like the sneeze guards or even do to some of the other products, how much research did you do into those products themselves? I mean, did you research any designs or was it just, this is happening now, we gotta just push forward and figure it out as we go? Or, you know, how did you, uh, how did you design those products? You had minutes. Okay. You had minutes. So it was basically, okay, where is it going? There, I mean, there, are lo there was a local grocery store here that just got the acrylic, cut them with a, with, a, with a circular saw and used wood to just put them up. They just were going up. Okay. Going up, going up, going up. So now there's some really good designs and everything. We're actually circling back to the people that just got them and hastily put them up. They're, they're, they're aesthetically not pleasing. They're, they're not visually appealing. And you can tell that they were rushed. Right. So we're circling back to these people and saying, okay, you guys got them up. Now let's spend some money on some nice hardware and make them look pretty. And that's how we're, we're, we're circling back to these clients again. Oh, that's, that's incredible. I mean, that's, I think that's a great lesson. You know, I think initially 
if you had taken too long, you would have missed out on that first opportunity. But even now that maybe there's a saturation in that market, now there's still an opportunity that, okay, for all those people that, that rush their, their sneeze guards, hey, this doesn't look so pretty. Let's let's help you out with that. that that's incredible. Did you have any issues with um, like finding materials and stuff like that? I mean, did was that an issue for you or were you able to yes. make it work? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, like I said, it was a gold rush. It was one of those things where, you know, if I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll tell you this now in, in a grocery store, when you're in a grocery store right now, um, it's at least locally, it's like this where you, they have these, these clerks kind of boxed in with acrylic sheets and our grocery stores, some of the acrylic sheets are three mils, some are six mils, some are real thick because they were using what they could get their hands on. Okay. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. how much of a, of a, of a, a lack of pro, uh, product there was. So it was, it was crazy, but you know, we're really well connected. I travel the world and I know a lot of people in my industry, so we could leverage some products rather quickly. Um, I had, you know, just calling favors and I had people holding products for me longer than they would hold any product for anyone else, just because it's, you know, like I said, we're good people and, and we do a lot for, uh, for people and, and, I believe in karma and I believe that karma helped us out during, uh, during COVID because we've done a lot of good stuff and a lot of good stuff happened with us. You talked about being a, a student of the craft and where, where I wanted to go with that last question as well. When we're talking about traveling all over the place is, you know, we talked about you after high school, not wanting um, to go to maybe a formal school. You were thinking about chiropractic school, but you just had a hard time with authority what I've really been impressed with later in your life is the importance you put on education, which, you know, we've talked about in previous podcasts, isn't necessarily the same thing as a degree. Can you just talk a little bit about what you pay to be involved in some of the different leadership seminars and public speaking and things you do just to enhance your business model? Absolutely. I mean, you know, just in the last, I don't know, five months, um, you know, I, I took a public speaking class, which was a two day, essentially talking from the front of the room. Uh, it, it taught you how to articulate your words better and to speak in a manner that not only was intelligent to the super smart person, but the 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 mediocre intelligence person would understand as well you got to touch everybody when when you're in a position like i am where i'm constantly speaking from the front of the room and i'm teaching and i'm coaching all the time and i'm a leadership a leader of my team i have to know these things i mean that was a two-day class it was five grand you know what i mean and, and it was well worth it and i'm part of a coaching program now uh it's twenty-two thousand a year to be a member of it and uh and i'm i'm i mean it's Financially, it's worth every penny. I mean, it, 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 it's it's one of those things where I've always had a just the coaching. Let's just talk about the coaching. You know, twenty two k a year to coach to to be a part of this leadership uh, leadership boardroom is what I'm part of. Um, and I've always had a coach. I've always invested into coaching. I've all, even dude. I mean, when I was a wrestler, when I was a little kid, when I was playing soccer. I was always really good with my coaches. I always knew that I didn't know everything. I always knew, like when I was a little kid playing soccer or when I was a little kid wrestling, I knew my coaches were established. I knew they had, they knew more than me. So I would always listen to them. You know what I mean? Maybe it didn't appear that I was listening to them because I was, like I said, a little shithead kid, but you know, I was always listening and I was always a sponge. And nowadays I still have business coaches. I work with a performance coach, Ben Newman, 
Ben is, Ben is, he was just, uh, he just received a great award. He's like the top 50, um, uh, business and motivational speakers in the world right now. Um, he's the man I work with him once a month. He's expensive, but he, I've been working with him for 12 years now, 13 years or something. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's expensive, but I've always, I believe it. It's not, it's not an expense to me. It's an investment and it always comes back. You know, if you really, I have, I have, um, so I put on a, a what's called a business boot camp is for the rat. It's called business boot camp for rat professionals. And I have uh, three classes a year. This year is going to be kind of weird. We may not have one just because of what's going on in the world, but it's essentially a two day boot camp for business professionals in the rap industry. Because the, the thing about the rap industry is you can go on Amazon and you can order a knife and a squeegee and, and, uh, and, and material. And you can have a business in two days with Amazon prime. You can be in business in two days, but then you're doing 50, 60,000, 80,000, a hundred thousand a year. You don't know how to pay your taxes. You don't know how anything about processes, leadership, insurance. I mean, there's so much you need to know about business. So we do these business boot camps, and it's, it's, it's just been, it's such an investment. It is such an investment into, into, you know, your future. It's, it's just, I don't know. It's something that, that I truly believe in. I believe in it so much that I started my own coaching program and, and we're killing it with that. So it's, it's just good, man. It's again, investment into your future. That's good to hear. I'd like to ask if you don't mind when, when someone's starting off, I guess two questions. Is there a point in time in which you would recommend, you know, a coach? I mean, obviously a coach is, is very helpful, but knowing that, you know, a coach has a cost associated with it. Is there some way that you could suggest for someone who is considering a coach to say, okay, this is the point at which you should seriously start to, um, to get a coach. And then the second part of that is, you know, there are a lot of coaches out there and is there something that, that you found that drew you to one coach, you know, versus the other, you know, is there a way that you use to, to determine, you know, who to choose? I think the time to get a coach is, is the, the minute that you can afford to do it, hire a coach, Okay. but you have to be mentally prepared for what is going to happen to your life. You have to be coachable. You have to be willing to do the work and you have to understand that you are going to disagree with your coach. You're going to, you have to find the right coach that you understand. Number one is in a position that you want to be. So there are so many coaches out there that are just BS and they don't know anything. You got to find someone that is in the position or has been in the position you want to be in. Okay. Cause you go on, go on social media right now and just type, search coach. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. It, and these people are yahoos. They've never done anything in their life. Never. They've taken a few coaching classes and now all of a sudden they're a guru and, you know, powder coating or whatever it is. Like, get out of here. You don't know what you're doing. You need to find someone that's well-established that is actually done what they say, what they can teach you. They're in the position that you want to be in or have been in the position you want to be in. That's key. You know, through my coaching program, I have an onboarding process. That's, you know, it's a whole interview process because I, dude, I'm a pretty hard nose in your face. I cuss a lot. I'm very direct style coach. Cause that's what I, that's how I like being coached. I'm a no bullshit type person. And that's who I want to work with people that enjoy that. And that's who, that's who I'm finding. So you need to find a coach that's good for you. And that works for your personality type. You said something in those answers that uh, made me think of another question though. 
you talked about finding a coach in a position that you want to be like, you know, see, seeking a coach that you want to emulate some of those characteristics. Uh, me and Brian talked about this on a previous podcast, but can you just talk about how you surround yourself with the people that you want to be like uh, to try and emulate those types of people? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, they all, there's a, there's a saying, whatever it is, it's, you know, you're, you're the culmination of the five people you're around the most, yep. you know, exactly. and that's, that's the truth. You know, that's the truth. So I try to surround myself with, with more successful. I try to be the dumbest person in the room everywhere I go. <laughs> we, we just said that. That's awesome, man. <laughs> it's the truth, you know, and that's, if you do that, if you do that, you just by osmosis, you're going to get better. Yeah. you're going to start thinking differently. You're going to start looking at people differently. If you're in a room with people that are just more polite than you, you're just by osmosis. You're going to get more polite. You're going to use, sir, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you, please. Because it's just what it is. That's the norm. So I always try to be the dumbest person in the room. And I try to surround myself with people that are far more successful with me, either business you know, finances, relationships, it doesn't matter. And the one thing I think is, is the, the, the key there is I'm not afraid to ask questions. If, if someone says, a, like, if I'm in a conversation with somebody and, you know, they could be a, a coaching client of mine and they say, they say a word that I don't know, I will stop them and I will ask them to define that for me. I never, I never want to like, number one, act smarter than I am. And if you say something and I don't know what it means, I'm not going to sit there and nod my head like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, no, like, wait, stop. Like, yeah. please explain that to me further. You never, you never be good enough to ask for help ever. And it doesn't matter who it is, where they are, what position they're in. If you show a little bit of vulnerability and you show a little bit of, of, you know, I want to be better. I want to learn. And you exude that it's going to come to you tenfold. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think one of the recurring themes that I'm hearing is you have to be willing to learn and you have to show, you know, some humility as far as, you know, your position and, and what you know. And I think, at least in my own experience, is that no matter what you do, there's someone that always knows more than you and there's someone that's always better than you. And there's someone that does everything better than you do. But that doesn't mean that you can't better yourself. You may not be number one, but so what? You know, that I think a lot of people struggle with that is that if they can't be number one, if they can't be the best, I'm not going to try or I'm not going to bother. I'm not, I'm not good enough to, to be successful. I'm not good enough to, to start a business, but I think everybody is, you know, I mean, exactly what you're saying. Show some humility, accept that you don't know everything. I think those are huge points that, that a lot of people overlook. And I don't think we can reinforce that enough, to be honest. It's how I live my life. I mean, it is, you know, I mean, with the vehicle wrap competitions, for example, I took I, my first competition, I took fourth place. My second through eighth competition, I'm not sure exactly. I took second place in every, it was like a joke. It was a running joke worldwide in the entire industry that John Duver takes second place in every competition. And then the last five vehicle wrap competitions I was in, I placed first. Once I started winning, I never stopped winning. Right. But it took six years of grinding, of blood, sweat, and tears, upset, just so freaking mad that I lost by a point. You know, and I'm a, I'm a really bad loser. Like I'm a sore loser. So I knew that I had to be a winner. I knew I had to get out there and win. So, so I just kept on the grindstone. What were the changes you made to go from, from number two to number one? I am a, I come in real hot. Okay. 
I, I come in real hot and I come in, you know, guns a blazing, yelling, screaming, you know, and I had a mentor. Uh, he was actually a head judge during, of the rap competitions back in the day. His name was Rob Ivers. He pulled me aside in London um, at the first world championship of car rapping that I participated in. And he said, you're the best one here. Uh, and this was on like day three of a five day competition. He's like, you're the best one here. He's like, the only thing that's, that's beating you is you. He's like, you need to, you need to stop coming in so hot. He's like, you need to get your wits about you. You need to calm down, stop sweating so much. He's like, you're, you are, you're, you're, you're killing yourself. And I ended up taking second place, uh, in that competition to a guy from Poland. And that was the last time I took second. Um, I listened to him. I, cause you know, Rob is the man. He's an, he's an older gentleman that's been in the industry for a very long time. Someone I look up to my entire career. I still look up to him to this day. And, uh, and he's the one that he's the one that changed that trajectory for me. You know, he just, dude, you're the best one here. Show it. You're killing yourself. And that's what I did. So really, it sounds like it, it was more mindset than anything. Your technique was good. It was just, you kind of <laughs> yeah. had to get out of your own way in a sense, right? Well, you know, the pre, it's a pressure cooker. You know, business is the same thing as a vehicle wrap competition, for example. It's a pressure cooker. In a vehicle wrap competition, you make one mistake, you cut something wrong one time, you place a graphic wrong, you're out. Like, it's that close. The competition is that tight because people on the top echelon are that good. Okay. So you make, and that's a pressure cooker. You know, you know, if you make one mistake, you're done. Same thing in business, you know, especially in times like today or times in a down market, like with COVID, you make one mistake, you could be done. You could have to lay people off. You could have to, I mean, you know, let's say best case scenario is you miss a paycheck. Like that sucks, man. I missed paychecks for 10 years or longer. That sucks. Do you think that, I mean, and you said the business is, is picking up again. Do you, what's your opinion of, of things on the ground for you? I mean, do you see do you think that business picking up now? Do you think it's it's permanent or do you think it's kind of just a, a temporary spike? What's your opinion on that? I think it's very uneasy times right now. Um, we are, we're killing it. I mean, last week, I think we received $170,000 with the POs um, and we're, we have bids out there in the six figures on numerous, numerous irons in the fire that are six figures that could hit tomorrow. I think that the market is picking up vehicle manufacturing is back on. So if I don't have graphics to put or vehicles to put graphics on, I can't run my business, you know, especially on the fleet side. So the fleet side, we do a ton of upfitting and a ton of, a ton of new graphics on new vehicles. But if the vehicle manufacturer shut down because of a, an assembly, a product not being able to be found or, or, uh, you know, the assembly lines getting shut down for whatever reason, it's very tough to put graphics on something that doesn't exist. So, they're back up, they're running. And I think people are making up for, for, for lost time. I really do. And I believe that my second part of the year is going to be a absolute barn burner, but at the same time, COVID is spiking again. Right. And that is going to be a huge thing. We have a lot of social unrest inside this country right now, and I'm not trying to get into any sort of political thing. I'm just stating the obvious here. Right. And, um, you know, it's an election year. An election year for my business is always down, always. Mm. Our growth might be 20, 30, 40. Let's say my growth is 40% year to year. During an election year, it'll be 20%. Because wow. people are worried. They're worried about what's going to happen, who's going to get elected, what the economy is going to do. Okay. And again, if the economy is good, people advertise. If the economy is bad, they don't advertise. They don't grow. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't even considered the election year having an effect. That's, that's interesting to hear. 
I, I had a, a friend of mine, a uh, good buddy of mine. So I had a tree removal and trimming business called Arbor Pros back in the day. I ended up selling it and investing into a computer software program, but that's a whole other story. Um, but he worked for me at Arbor Pros and he, and he was, I called him Jimmy Dingo. Cause you know, I don't know if you guys know what a Toro Dingo is. It's like a walk behind Bobcat. This dude worked so hard. He would do the work of a Dingo. Like he would, he would, he would work hard enough to do the work of three guys. So anyway, he was the hardest worker in the room. You can't train that. So I brought him on at Vinyl Images and made him an installer and, and personally trained him for 18 months. Well, he moved out to Denver, Colorado. His wife got transferred and he started his own business. And he's got a, a ridiculously, ridiculously successful business now. He's been out there eight or eight or nine years. And uh, he called me. <laughs> he calls me like once a year and apologizes for, for busting my balls when he used to work for me. Because, you know, I would sit in my office and be on my computer and he would always be like, hey, man, I need help out here. I need help out here. And I'm you know, he didn't realize the stuff that goes into the back end of owning a business. But at the same time, he's like at the last election year, he was like, man, I was blindsided by this because it's, it's industry wide for us. It really is people. It's very uneasy for people to uh, to invest big money during an election year, especially near the election time near November. Hey, John, just listening to you talk. Um, I feel like there's a lot of similarities. You said something early in the podcast about, you know, we all have a variation of ADD. And similar to my situation, I've got so many pokers in the fire, multiple businesses. I hear you talking about vinyl images, your coaching programs, selling tree businesses. So I, I can see you as a guy that's always on the move, always wanting to do something. But sometimes you can have too many balls in the air. And so I guess my question is, you know, being kind of ADD, always wanting to be on the go. How do you kind of sit back, reprioritize the things that you have going on and make the number one thing the number one and reset yourself? Or, or is that something that you struggle with? Uh, I have struggled with that um, a lot. Like, I, I, dude, I have a disease, man. I see opportunity in everything. Yep. I, I see. And if, I, if my mind is idle, I fill it. And that's, that's the thing. So as an entrepreneur, once you taste success, you can't turn it off. Yeah. You just keep <laughs> seeing it. And then, you know, like you just keep going and then it, it almost consumes you. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard <laughs> for sure. It's and my wife, my, you know, my wife is always, she's always asking me, she's asking the same thing. Like, when is it enough? <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, how do you, so I, how do I you said, once I reach that, I'll let you know. Yeah. You know, how do you, I, I, th I think, I think in recent times, I, you know, you can either, so right now, COVID going on, this is unprecedented, okay? And I'm really focused on this and I've said it a lot, you know, COVID, 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 but you can go into COVID or you can come out of COVID with a F this mentality. This was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Or you can come out of COVID and say, man, that was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm coming out of COVID with this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Whether I come out of it today or six months or a year from now, it's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. And one thing, if nothing else happens because of COVID, it has allowed me to really, truly understand that I can only control what I can control because it doesn't matter how much advertising I would have done during the first parts of COVID. It doesn't matter anything I wanted to do. The business wasn't there. It wasn't going on. And it was the first time in my life that, you know, I, I sit there and I fake it to myself like, oh, you could, you know, it's, it sounds great. Don't worry about it if you can't control it. You know, you tell yourself that and you lie to yourself as a, with a mindset like mine, 
you lie to yourself about it, but it really put it in perspective that I had no control over it. And during that time of realizing I had no control over this, again, that disease, my mind filled with other things and my mind filled with simplify. How can you simplify? So I put companies that I had been working on for a year or two on the back burner or closed them down completely. I packaged them up and put them up for sale. Uh, I sold, I, you know, I sold motorcycles, boats, a car. I, I simplified my entire life. And now I was just with my friend that owns a very successful plumbing company. I was just walking the creek. One of the creeks we used to walk, Stu, back in the day. I was in there today with my buddy. Right on. And we were we were walking the creek and 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 he's like, you know what, man? He's from he's from uh Britain and that's a horrible British accent. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'm just, you know, I, I'm enjoying life more. And that's what I'm doing now. You know, I'm not worried about the next big thing. I'm kind of hyper focusing on what I have going on now, as opposed to spreading it a little thinner. I've, I've, I've kind of beefed it up a little bit on the efforts I'm putting towards, you know, these three things, as opposed to spreading it real thin on, on six things. Yeah. That's interesting. Let me ask you this. Do you think that for a small or any business, really, do you think that there would be a value in almost treating your business as if COVID is going to be permanent? You know, and what I mean by that is, do you think that there would be some value in, you know, always assuming that the worst is going to happen. I mean, do you think that would be productive or do you think that that would lead to other unintended consequences? I think that there is a, I think there is a place for that. I really do. I think financially every single person that has a business needs to put a couple hundred grand away um, as a little nutshell, you know, like right now that's what we have done because we know if, this happens again and it shuts down again. I'm not laying anyone off. I'm not going to do it. How am I going to do that without coming into my own personal savings, you know, et cetera. I don't, everything I own in my business is paid for with cash. I don't have a line of credit. I don't have a business loan. I have, I have, you know, a $400,000 printer. It's paid for. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I have no bills when it comes to that. So we're able to stack cash right now pretty well because our business is doing well and we're doing that and we're going to keep doing that. And we're going to keep that in because when COVID hit, we were spread pretty thin financially and I will never allow that to happen again. Again, you got to learn from this. You got to take away these, these morsels and you got to, you got to remember them. And what did you learn from COVID? What did you do? Great. What did you do poorly? Fix what you did poorly, double down on what you did great, and get some money in the bank. So that that's the key to business is that yeah, that's the lube, you know, that's the right. lube to the gears. So that's you know, I think knowing it's gonna listen, it's gonna happen at some point, some time, some some scale, it's gonna happen again, and I will be prepared for it next time, more prepared for it next time. I think the the theme that I'm getting, and and tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems as though you unintentionally were kind of forced to to grow at a um, reasonable pace. And what I mean is, I think a lot of business people starting off, they see the cash coming in and they over leverage themselves. But in your case, you didn't seem to have that opportunity. And I don't mean that to be, I don't mean that in a negative way. I think that was- oh, that's the truth. <laughs> you know, I think that's a huge point too, is that a lot of businesses fail almost from their own success where, you know, they take on, exactly like you were going, you were talking about with your salesman and everything else, 
I think a good point that I want to double back on is just, is exactly that is it's easy to say our sales are up, our sales are up. We need more salesmen. We need more salesmen. Well, but if you don't have the back end to support the product that those salesmen are bringing in, you're going to fail now because you're paying those salesmen, but there's no product coming out to, to support that. Um, and I think that's huge too. And I, I was glad to hear you say that. Cause I think at least from my own experience, you know, it's, I've been involved in other companies as a, you know, employee and stuff and, and they failed exactly because of that, you know, where they, they took on too many responsibilities, they over leveraged. And as soon as there was any blip in the economy or in the market that we were in, everything went to hell and everything fell apart. Um, so I think I just want to reiterate that it's growth is good, but at the same time, it can be a, a double-edged sword. If, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that's absolutely, opinion. if you, you can have all the growth in the world, man, I mean, you can have all the growth in the world, but if you don't have a, a, a foundation to, to support that mansion you're building, it's going to fall, yep. it's going to crumble. And that's a lot of what I'm focusing on with a lot of my coaching clients and myself and my business as well. Joe Dess and I had a very long heart to heart meeting yesterday uh, on this exact same thing. You know, we have to get back to because we're growing right. and it's it's a scary time because of what's going on in the economy, because of of where our business is going. Like the 18 years, again, I got goosebumps explaining this, the 18 years leading up to today exactly what we want to happen is happening exactly what we dreamt about is happening okay but we're realizing that what we thought we needed to do to be prepared for this is maybe 80 percent, 85 percent of exactly what we actually need to be prepared for this right so you got to get back to those processes you got to get back to those action steps every single day and you got to get back to building that foundation stronger than ever and if you don't have that you're done you're done. It'll, it's, it's it, one, one little crack will create a, you know, a downfall that you'll, you, you don't see coming. I, I totally agree. I mean, that's, I think, I don't think we can, <laughs> I don't think we can reiterate that strongly enough. Exactly what you're saying. It's yeah. Huge. Somebody should tell the airlines this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what, what's going on with them. I haven't been traveling. I normally travel 65 to 70 days a year. Nice. The airlines have been made billions, billions of dollars over the last 10 years. And now they're bankrupt because they've been given all their profits to their shareholders and big bonuses to CEOs. And they didn't put aside the equivalent of, you know, your hundred thousand, their hundred millions in the rainy day slush fund. And, and now we're looking at bailing them out with the taxpayer. I see it in my industry right now. You know, the economy has been really good for five years, four years. And, you know, these, these young entrepreneurs that come into the industry right now, they, uh, they came in at a very good time where people were spending money and their businesses grew very quickly and they were not, you know, they were going out and buying new GTRs and they were going out and, and, and over, over spending on, you know, a thousand dollar pair of Jordans when they should have been buying a new laminator or whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, when the economy took a dump, they didn't have anything saved. And, you know, my industry is in, in dire straits right now. I think 25, 20 to 25% of my industry is gone and not coming back. Yeah. All right, John. Hey, we're getting close to our hour and I mean, we could talk to you all day. This has been great stuff. So a uh, couple questions just to close it out. So you've, you know, made some great moves, uh, started from the high school kid that I knew. And it, it's been, you know, one of my great experiences watching you mature. And I guess I'd like the listeners to, to close with one question. It's 
what advice would you give to young aspiring entrepreneurs that want to, you know, maybe it's not the vinyl, vinyl image or that we wrap anything, but just like you said in the beginning, you didn't want a boss, you had problems with authority, but you were willing to learn, you wanted to go out there and hustle. What advice would you give to that guy that's listening right now? Number one, surround yourself with people that are better than you always. The, the, so people like, like Stu, like yourself, like you're the man. You know what I mean? Like you're going to help people. I'm in the same way. Like I, I'm really good at what I do. I love helping people. I love educating people. If someone asks me a question, I will take I will take more time than I have to help them and and show them the ways. So don't don't feel like an idiot because you don't know the obvious what you perceive to be an obvious question. Stop the person and ask it because they will have more respect for you and they will take more time to help you than than you can even imagine. You know, that works for me till the, still to this day. So I know it works, I know it will work and I know it'll help all those young entrepreneurs out. The second is man, do we are in a time you can get education when we started our business with the internet barely existed. Social media wasn't around. There are there are closed groups on Facebook with you know, vehicle wrap specialist and sign shop specialists and, and, and how to make origami specialists and whatever it is you're doing. You know what I mean? If you want to get educated, you can get educated. I don't want to, I hate it when I hear people, Oh, I couldn't find the answer. <laughs> like, cause you're lazy. Cause you're lazy. And you didn't, you didn't even look, you know, and that's, that's the biggest thing. Go out there, get educated. And, uh, and you know, it's amazing how powerful Google is. John, I promise you, you set us up perfectly for this final question. So the name of our podcast is Nothing Owed. I don't even think I told you that yet. And you kind of hit that, you know, people don't have excuses. And so I guess I just wanted to close with that. With with the, the thesis being people aren't owed anything, but they have all these tools available to them right now. Uh, what say you about this? Listen, <laughs> if you want it, you can get it. It doesn't matter who you are, how you were raised, where you come from, anything. It doesn't matter. The tools for success are there. It's a matter of getting off your ass and going and finding the tools, getting your foundation built, and then building that house, that business, that mansion of a business or whatever it is you want to do. It's there. You know, they always say the world is your oyster and that's, that's the key. It's there. Just go get it. Great answer. Great show, man. All right, everybody, we're going to wrap this up. John Duver, J-O-H-N-D-E-U-V-E-R. One of my lifelong friends. John, it was great having you today. My last name is uh, D-U-E, V as in Victor, E-R, though. Right, I'm just going to say that again. I'm going <laughs> to edit all that out. <laughs> all right. Lifelong all right. friend, huh? <laughs> I just had a, I just had like a magazine spread done oh my. Me and they spelled my fucking name wrong. Oh, that's so funny. All right, everybody. All right, everybody. All right, everybody. Uh, John Duver, J-O-H-N-D-U-E-V-E-R. You can Google him. Uh, he's got his own coaching businesses. We wrap anything.com. If you want to check out his business in St. Louis, Missouri, John, we really appreciate having you on today. My pleasure. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, John, it's been a pleasure. And just for the record, not knowing you, I got your name right from the start. So (laughs) thank you, sir. I just want to close on that. (laughs) All right. 
It's been a pleasure. Have a nice Thanks, day, everybody. Guys.